All right, hello and welcome to the first episode of What Are You Frightened For for summer 2019. My name is Johnny Suck. I'm Louise Burns. And over the next few weeks, we'll be here talking to you about Fantasia and the movies we've seen of it. Specifically, we'll be discussing them in terms of the themes and what people are afraid of in 2019. Um, so I'll start with uh, a film called Vivarium, which will probably have a commercial release. It has uh, Emojin Poots and Jesse Eisenberg. It is a very Kafkaesque, beautifully crafted, weird film that is a really strong critique of the kind of conventional life choices such as getting married, having a kid, and buying a home. Its overall theme is be careful what you wish for, and sort of the suburban trappings of uh, conventional living. That actually sounds quite uh, relevant for 2019 and what I'm seeing with the people around me. And what it is is a kind of like an, uh, about enslaving yourself. Basically, very quickly, um, Imogen plays a character. They're, they're a couple. She is a teacher in a school for children, and he is a gardener, I believe, at the on the grounds of the same school. And they go to the most unreal realtor, uh, very eccentrically played, uh, and in that. Uh, places there are a whole bunch of model homes that are in his office that are completely identical they sort of are like okay this is not for us and want to bail out right at that point but he insists and they end up going to this huge neighborhood of identical houses in a maze of streets and they basically he traps them there and they can't leave and so there's the frustration of look I'll drive, I'll get us out of here, you know, being lost um, in a couple and trapped in a car. It's a classic movie theme. A classic movie theme. And then they, at one point, this box arrives and in it is a baby. And basically, um, the realtor says, raise this child and you will get out. And the child is not a normal human being. And uh, so one of the kind of um, really well done is just the uh, contempt of the parents <laughs> for this child, which is very unusual. You don't usually see people hating their kids. Um, and then the other uh, thing is this desire to escape. Um, and so the uh, husband character, played by Jesse, is decides that what he's going to do is start digging. And he basically symbolically is d digging his own grave. And of course, what, well not necessarily of course, but the, the wife is, keeps on sort of going, how's that going? Are you getting anywhere? <laughs> Which is like this really dark humor. So it was just very stylized again, very like immaculate art, di art direction. The house itself looks like the most bland hotel room that many people have seen. And the director said that in, he's, he's Irish and that there was a whole, he was inspired by it because there was a whole bunch of these like low, not very expensive family houses, initiatives to get people out of the city sort of to, for pollution reasons, because people to reduce, you know, the commuting and back and forth in the city and all this kind of stuff. And 
they, you know, built tons of them and people moved into them but then foreclosed because of the economy. So there's these ghost towns basically where people are still living in, and yet they have no neighbors and they have multiple houses that are identical to each other. And how much of the feeling of being trapped is based on uh, debt and being trapped in a 20-year mortgage? Was that at all a theme in the, in the film? It is, it is absolutely the theme, although it is never spoken, because they're using it symbolically by virtue of the actually being trapped, by, having, by being in this house with zero neighbors and also being, you know, unable to get out like unable to get out and then what it does to a relationship you know having this child arrive as just um, you know having their food arrive having no kind of creative outlet or goals like just an absolute emptiness soulless existence good stuff so that's vivarium yonder is a wonderful development both tranquil and practical, it has all you'd need and all you'd want. And as for the prices, it's no wonder these houses are getting snapped up. <laughs> I know what you guys are thinking, suburbia. The other theme that uh, we were talking about was, that was common, is that be careful what you see, it will change you forever. Not necessarily that you should be afraid of that, but that was a common theme in, in a lot of the films that I saw. And so The Phantom of Winnipeg is about, it's a documentary about this phenomenon of how The Phantom of Paradise, which is a Brian De Palma film that literally tanked everywhere and was critically panned quite a bit, was hugely successful in Winnipeg. And another theme that we noticed was about cinema pre-internet, which seems to be very um, important to this story because most of the people who embraced this film and saw it perhaps at a younger age than they should have had never seen anything as outrageous as Phantom of Paradise is. They embraced it obsessively. They, uh, you know, cover the music, they saw the film, they collect every um, item of collectible and unbeknownst to them it was a flop everywhere else. So this Winnipeg phenomenon, which they actually don't explain, particularly other than it's really cold, there's nothing else to do, is, uh, is like that. It's almost their, their secret kind of clubhouse of some sort, or secret kind of like fandom-based pre-Reddit. You know, to someone who hasn't seen it before. Take your best musical, take your best horror film, take your best comedy, and take your best love story, roll them into one, and double it. The film was a great disappointment commercially when it first opened. All sort of culminated around um, people in Winnipeg actually sort of having a, I forget what, the Phantom Palooza, where they got all the cast to come and relive their love and their passion for this film. I mean, why I didn't like it is because my biggest fear is nostalgia. <laughs> and it was very, much just reveling in it so i th that's more a reflection of me than on the movie <laughs> that's real and fierce yes so be careful what you watch it will change you forever and on that note yes uh, we both watched the movie porno which uh director kula rosella 
and it is a film about a bunch of teenagers who get locked in a movie theater overnight and they find this mystery reel that was locked away in the basement. They put it on and they see something they shouldn't see and they unlock a succubus that was trapped in the film reel. <laughs> and then of course everything uh, goes haywire from there. Todd! You came in, what, what happened? I, I saw her. You saw who? Well, who'd you see, Todd? Her. Dude, he peed his pants. <laughs> Abe, I don't think it's pee, man. It's not. What are you talking about? The, the woman, the woman from the film, she was here. I saw her. Her hooters, man. And everything else. Well, I think the other undercurrent is sexual repression and uh, evangelic religious ferocity because the owner of the, these, all these teens work at this movie house and his way of like congratulating them for good work, job well done, is to allow them to have the movie house to themselves and watch a film. And he has a very kind of like almost military-esque kind of rule over them. Um, and it is all about being good, pure Christian individuals so he, he like he's sort of very doggedly kind of praising them for their purity and you know punishing them for transgressions so they find like they so they have not been exposed to anything that is like transgressive and so they 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 find that there's this boarded up part of the cinema that uh, an old drunken man kind of bashes himself through and they find sort of like a cinema, an, an whole other theater within the theater, which has this sort of literally underground. Yeah, and it's important to say that this movie's set in the early 90s, so uh, these kids working there, yeah, haven't seen things that kids today would have seen uh, at the same time. The film within the film this, that unleashes the succubus is sort of, um, is the, the filmmakers referenced uh, Kenneth Anger, who was a queer underground experimental filmmaker, who so the the film that they watch is very kind of evocative of that era, which is like also pre-internet, and so it's a very t special kind. It's not it's not porn by any stretch of the imagination. It's much more of like um, it's an art house film basically, and there is some jokes in that about it being an art house film. And the directors also said that they had been working quite a lot to pitch and have in development big budget films. And they got frustrated because those take so much time to get off the ground that they decided, okay, what can we do that to just sort of like creatively flex their muscles right there and then. And they came up with this concept because actually there was a, they discovered on Reddit, that there was a, uh, a study where about distraction and what they did is they had somebody dressed up as a ghoul running through a porn theater to see if anybody noticed this and they did not notice it so they were not distracted so it's, again it's the power of the image it's kind um, of like the, the classic video of a gorilla on a basketball court never I seen don't know that. this I've never no. seen it uh, well, if someone wants to see an example of this look up gorilla basketball and uh, see if you see a gorilla. Wow, amazing. 
So it had a lot of the conventions of a horror film. You know, the characters are all familiar. They're all kind. They all have their own kind of personal story or personal journey that they have to have some sort of inner kind of lesson learned. And it, you know, it, it does. The evening work progresses with some intense mayhem that is like genital mutilating, um, very graphic. And then they, you know, the sun comes up at the end, they've all survived, and they walk off um, doo -doo 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 -doo, to the daylight, which is kind of typical of a lot of horror films. But it has a spirit of kind of just willingness to go further than a lot of uh, conventions. Yeah, I thought it was going to be actually a little dopey and tame based on the preview. But yeah, the, some of the imagery on screen is as intense as I've ever seen yeah. at Fantasia. Uh, which is great. A lot of nervous laughter in the audience. Yeah. Definitely uh, uncomfortable shifting around in seats. And not done um, in a way that is like splatter gore in a in a oddly um, empathetic kind of way, like oddly oddly surgical kind of way. Anyway, porno. Don't Google it. <laughs> Should definitely Google it for more information. It's a. Um, I'm not sure how much of a release it will get. You know, actually, the person who funded it apparently has never seen it, and it seemed like the director and producer wanted to keep it that way. So yeah, this one might not have uh, really long legs. Yeah, very well done, uh, well acted, and uh, the story just kept me interested through the whole thing. Uh, also another very well done film is Canadian uh, uh, filmmaker Bruce McDonald's Dreamland, and this is a a film that if describing it won't, the plot doesn't do the film service. It is a real delight to watch. It is in the present, but it's not reality as we know it. There's some very surreal things. And Stephen McHattie, whose character actor, plays two roles in this film. They obviously, the, the two roles look very much identical, but they never acknowledge that it's the same person. One is a heroin addicted trumpet player, and the other is basically a hired hitman. And he's hired by Henry Rollins, who plays a character, a, a gangster called Hercules. And Henry Rollins basically just plays himself, but unleashed, able to amp up a little more. I can't imagine Henry Rollins being on screen and not being Henry Rollins. Yeah, that's right. No matter how hard he was trying to act, or no matter how much costume or makeup he had on, it would just be him. I don't think through. he was asked to do anything different. And basically there is a wedding that's happening in a palace, which is basically a fortress, because a brother and sister, Juliette Lewis, is the sister, and she's the countess. So she has all this money, and yet no freedom, because political situation is such that, I, that, she, that she can't actually go beyond palace. She's, you know, for this uh, wedding with, with her brother, whom happens to be a vampire, it's all these kind of political despots. And so there's intense security all the time. And Johnny, who's the hitman, is much more like a classic kind of Western character who, you know, is roaming the streets and hanging out in pawn shops and in this very 40s, 50s-esque burlesque nightclub and uh, what is discovered is that it's uh, the vampire is going to be marrying an underage 
girl and that there's this harem of underage girls that they're basically human trafficking. So that's the plot, but the art direction and the performances of the uh, main of the characters are just super entertaining and delightful. The creative kind of like cinematography is very on point as well. And it has a interesting sort of misanthropic air because the uh, trumpet player is clearly motivated for his next hit of heroin, whereas Johnny, the other counterpart, is like literally trying to save the children. So it has this sort of like druggy, trippy kind of like, I don't care um, tone. And this other kind of not well articulated, but like propelled, propelled to try and fight and to make things better. Did they say uh, what the plans for the film are? I think it will have some sort of release in Canada for sure. Bruce McDonald, uh, you know, one of the things that you kind of actually think that is great about the Canadian filmmaking is that they can allow somebody to sort of explore these. It, it, this film sort of fits with the rest of the films that Bruce McDonald has done. It's sort of like an extension of the themes that he's been exploring. And even he's working with a lot of the same people. So, and it's, um, I believe it's, um, it's a, uh, also a co-production with Luxembourg and Belgium. So it has a European feel to, feel to it, but a, an interesting quirky Canadian um, tone. So I think it will be given a release but it might, will probably be stuck in the art house, kind of, for people who like the weird. So we'll see that Center of the Park in, yeah, in a little bit. Yeah, I would, I would imagine. But I think it is great. Beautiful. All right. I guess that's it for this week. Of note, actually, today at 1, movie Swallow was playing, which I saw last week, and it was quite good, but we're not going to talk about it yet. We'll talk about it next week once you see it. Cool. Uh, but anyone out there who's wondering what to go see, definitely... Go check that out.